Please stand with me if you're able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Galatians 6, 14 through 15. Please read both verses with me. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Flannery. Good morning. My name is Brad, and um, I'm one of the pastors here. That's, if you're counting two, and that's the total. And we're not hiding another one anyplace right now. Uh, but we're grateful uh, for you that if you're joining us online or if you're here in the room with us, maybe you're watching this uh, five years from now on YouTube. We're glad that you're here. It's the fifth Sunday. Uh, it's actually the last Sunday of Lent before uh, Holy Week, before Palm Sunday next week. And uh, during Lent, we've been uh, following this theme. We called it uh, the way of the cross. And if you're familiar with that term or maybe the stations of the cross, it's a, it's a pretty ancient practice where uh, Christians uh, would gather and uh, originally follow the, the sites in Jerusalem from Jesus's um, betrayal and, and uh, trial all the way to Golgotha where he was killed. And it's recreated um, in stations. And so on Tuesday nights, we've been gathering here for prayer and worship. And uh, we've got this beautiful art on the wall. And we've been tracing those stations each Tuesday, um, those events in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And on Sunday mornings, uh, we've been preaching through a series uh, we've been calling um, The Meaning of the Cross and uh, looking at selected passages. Last week, Daniel talked about how Christ's death atoned for our sins as we, look for, as we looked at Isaiah chapter 6. And we've explored what it means to follow Jesus giving our lives as a living sacrifice as he uh, sacrificed himself on the cross from Romans 12. Talked about taking up our own crosses and following him in a passage uh, that we studied from the Gospel of Mark. And today, um, to conclude that series, I want to ask... What would it mean to boast in nothing except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? As this short passage that we read in Galatians said, to, to boast in nothing but the cross. What does that mean? Well, for the last six months or so, it's actually been longer than that. But as everything else in the world is, it's been stop and go because of pandemic and whatnot. But for a pretty steady for the last six months, uh, I have been gathering with a group of young men at my house. We gather every other week, and we call it Boys Club. And we usually play some crazy game like Grinch Tag or Psychologist. We eat lots of junk food, or we roast uh, marshmallows and have s'mores over the fire. And then we read together a chapter from a book, and we talk through... Uh, the, this, we talk through this chapter, and we always read, right now we're always reading a chapter from a book called The Case for Christ. Each night uh, we read a chapter with a title, uh, something like, Can I Trust What I Read in the Bible About Jesus? Or What Does Science Say About Jesus? It's a, it's a book, and it's kind of a rewrite for young readers, but uh, a classic book 
written by an investigative journalist, a guy named Lee Strobel, and he was looking into Jesus for his own journey of faith when he wrote the original book. I'd like to boast just a little bit more about Boys Club before moving on. Um, it's one of my favorite things uh, every, other, every other week, and I love that uh, several of the guys that have been coming through Boys Club have made a profession of faith. They've decided to follow Jesus through the process. Um, some of them even uh, made a public profession of faith at a Zoom meeting um, partway through the pandemic. Um, I love the fact that there are several boys from the neighborhood or from uh, my son's Little League team that have heard about Boys Club and decided, hey, I want to be a part of that. But I have a confession. It's, uh, well, I did a, I did a thing. <laughs> and I'm not sure if it was the right decision, but I, I did do this thing. Um, and uh, here's the thing. And it's something I haven't actually told the guys uh, from Boys Club either. There's a couple of them sitting in the front row here. Um, here's my confession. Uh, we skipped a chapter. We went right from a chapter called, Who Did Jesus Think He Was? into a chapter called, Was Jesus' Tomb Really Empty? And we skipped right over a chapter called, Did Jesus Really Die? And we skipped it, full disclosure, because I'm disorganized and because I'm a wimp. Uh, in this chapter, Lee Strobel, the investigative journalist, interviews a medical doctor who basically gives a step-by-step -step medical description of the excruciating process of Jesus' death on the cross. It's PG-13 for certain, maybe, you know restricted. It's a sort of chapter I felt like I should send home a, a permission slip to the parents and say, you know, just so you know, this is what we're going we're gonna to read this week, but, um, you know, your son may not sleep well tonight based on the things that we describe. But uh, again, I was disorganized. I was preparing a little too close, and there wasn't enough time to get a permission slip. But also, the whole thing made me a bit squeamish as well. And so we skipped it and went on to the next chapter. And I tell the story to try to get a little bit of perspective, uh, a perspective on the kind of things that it's easy to get excited about and boast in, and the kind of things that I don't like talking about, or uh, the kind of things that I feel self-conscious about doing. A, a bit of perspective on what Paul is saying when he implores us to boast in nothing except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we should boast in this thing that I felt uncomfortable asking neighborhood parents uh, to let me describe to their adolescent sons. Do we really understand, you know, what we're talking about, what happened when we talk about the cross of Christ. And so this morning, boasting in the cross in two parts, what is your boast and how the cross turns things upside down? What is your boast? If we're going to figure out what boasting in, in the cross means, we'll have to start with what Paul, who's the writer of this passage, is talking about when he uses that word boast. What does he mean to boast? Why do we boast and in what kind of things do we boast in? 
when uh, Pastor Daniel trash talks in basketball and he says, I own this place because I drop trays like rain. <laughs> he is claiming his right to play on the court based on his ability to make three-point baskets. It's as if he's answering an unasked question. Why do you belong here? Justify why we should let you play. Why should we honor your presence here? And Paul is saying that the true heart of our religion is what we boast in, the reason that we think we have a right to be in God's presence, or the way that we justify our existence. Why do we say that we are right before God? In this sense, we're all religious. Whether you use religious words like God or Jesus or righteousness, we're all in the business of trying to justify ourselves by what we do or by who affirms us, who includes us, or by where we come from or what group we belong to. We're constantly trying to say, uh, why you should esteem me, why you should affirm me, why you should include me. And one of the primary conflicts in the book of Galatians, which we read from this morning, is around whether followers of Jesus, new followers of Jesus in the New Testament, needed to follow old Jewish rituals. Was faith in Jesus enough to be included and to be confident of God's affirmation? Or did you need to prove yourself by following laws and, and rituals um, and and and? And getting circumcised, that's the way that Paul talks about it again and again. Circumcision and uncircumcision. How do we show that we belong? And in verses 12 and 13, which we didn't read this morning, Paul questions the motives of people who had shown up in Galatia advocating that you needed to follow Jewish laws. He implies that they're not worshiping Jesus. He says they, they live for other people's approval. They want to make a good showing in the flesh. He says that they want to avoid being persecuted, and so they're asking people to look Jewish instead of the strange new uh, creature that was a Christian. They want to measure their success by numbers, how many converts they've gotten, because it's easy to count how many circumcisions there have been and keep score. It doesn't sound that much different than boasting in how many boys come from the neighborhood and... Uh, and how good Boys Club is while avoiding PG-13 topics that might offend their parents. But Paul says, boast in nothing except the cross. The cross. Justify uh, your presence. How do you justify that you should be in God's presence? He says, point to the cross. He, he says, why do you belong here? Ask yourself, why do you belong to God? Point to the cross. Where do you look for for affirmation? How do you know how much God loves you? Point to the cross. One author says that if someone understands the cross, it is either the greatest thing in their life or it's repugnant to them. But if it's neither of those two things, they haven't understood the cross. Paul says essentially the same thing in another place. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 23, he says that Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. 
The cross was a stumbling block to Jews because their boast, where they found their worth, was in exalting moral laws and cursing moral sin. But the law said that cursed was anyone who hung on a tree. So what does that mean about Jesus who hung on a cross? The cross was folly to Gentiles because their boast was in sophisticated philosophy and in defeating their opponents, whether that was in debate or in warfare. But the message of the cross was not sophisticated. It was simple. That we are saved by a God who, it seems, was defeated for us and died rather than defeating our foes. That he succumbed to death before he defeated it. This was not the kind of God that seemed powerful or reasonable to a Greek world. But it's not that different today if we're really considering the cross. The idea of Jesus' crucifixion is offensive to the progressive-minded among us. If, we're, if we lean in that direction, then our boast or our, our value is in inclusion and intolerance. And saying that the cross is the only way to be saved seems intolerant. It seems exclusive. But the cross is offensive to the conservatively leaning um, among us as well, because if Jesus had to die, that means even the good and the moral folks that we admire and hold up needed a savior as much as the scoundrels. The cross is, if we are understanding it correctly, offensive to every human heart because it holds up the heinousness of our sin in front of our faces. It says, this is what sin deserves, death on a cross. It deserves to be cursed. And it insults our pride because it tells us that uh, we're too weak, that we're too sinful. We don't contribute to this thing at all. We have to depend on what Christ has done, not on what we can do. Jesus had to do it all. And this means that the cross means that we don't get to take any credit for our standing in front of God. There's nothing about ourselves that we can boast in or point to as the reason that we should be accepted in God's presence. If we want to exalt something, Paul says, if we want to explain how we justify ourselves in front of a loving but holy God of justice, then all we can do is point to the cross. This is the only reason I get to be here. What Christ has done on my behalf, his perfect life, his sacrifice, and his conquering of death, that's all I've got. That is uh, essentially what Paul is talking about when he says, I will boast in nothing except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how does the cross turn things upside down? Well, I have a friend, uh, and her, I have a friend who struggled uh, a lot earlier in her life. For much of her early life, she struggled with her weight. Always the heaviest amongst her siblings, self-conscious about her size, her parents, who no doubt had good and the best of intentions, enrolled her in like Weight Watchers or something when she was in high school. And it was very traumatic. Um, 
So uh, she uh, is a high school student and getting a message that was uh, confirming uh, some of the things she was already struggling with, like uh, so many of us have learned that our boast should be in the way that our body looks, or, or maybe that uh, we'll, we'll find meaning in our ability to discipline ourselves uh, with food and exercise, or maybe uh, just uh, finding worth in the ability to control uh, eating and food because everything else in the world is so out of control. But for whatever reason, and I, and I don't know all of hers, it was a shameful part of her life, and it really had control over her moods and her confidence and her self-esteem for a long time. Until what she would describe as a gospel encounter with food. Up until that point, all of the motivations that she had tried to use, um, all the reasons that she had found to to lose weight, uh, all of those reasons that she hoped to put her boast in were at their core just as self-involved and self-centered and spiritually unhealthy as food had been in her life. But somehow when she really began to understand the gospel, not only did food start to have less control in her life, but so did the vanity of wanting to look sexy. So did the perfectionism that wanted to have total control over uh, a situation in her life. And so did all the other reasons that she had tried to use to motivate herself. Now, this illustration is not meant to be prescriptive. I think God works his grace in different ways in each of our hearts to tear down the places that we're finding our boasting. But there is a stunning turnaround in the mental process of someone who truly starts to believe that they are loved by God because of Christ's work. Christ's work alone. Not something that they have done or will be required to do. That kind of realization and belief brings a new kind of confidence. Christ confidence. A confidence not in self, but a confidence in Christ. It means that nothing in this world has the same kind of power over us that it used to. This is what the passage is talking about when it says that through the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It doesn't say that the world is dead. All of those beautiful and potent and incredible things are still going on around believers. And there is still wonderful food in the world to follow the illustration. Essentially, it's just saying that the world's power over me is dead now. I can enjoy God's good gifts without giving them control over me. I can go without good things if it's necessary, and I don't have to second-guess my worth or my rights because I'm not partaking in that thing. And this friend of mine, I would classify today as a foodie, which makes people's heads spin. She loves good food, making good food, enjoying great meals with friends. Food is not dead to her, but the power that food used to have over her is dead. Because if there's nothing in this world that I boast in, then there's nothing in this world that controls me. The truth is we are all in process. Maybe seeing incredible grace in one area of our life while 
we're still boasting about something that's destroying us in a different area of our life. Well, we're, we're, we're experiencing freedom in one spot. We're re- God is really transforming this part of our life while we're still living for someone else's approval or praise in another area of our life. But I would say that the things that cause us the most anxiety, the reasons that you lose sleep at night, the emails that you rewrite the most times before sending them, these should be some of the caution signs in our lives. It's certainly true that some of us are losing sleep over what will bring Christ the most glory. Losing sleep about composing perfect emails for uh, explaining the beauty of the cross to someone. But it's also possible that these are indications of places in our lives and in our hearts where we're protecting something else. I have this anxiety because I'm boasting in this thing and it's in danger. I'm boasting in my reputation or my resume or the picture of a perfect family that seems at risk because of this thing or that thing. Uh, My inheritance seems to be in jeopardy. What will I do? So what do you do if you've become convicted that something besides the cross is truly having power over you in your life? What what should I do? I don't have a three-step process for eradicating your boast. But one suggestion, and this may seem silly, but rest, Sabbath, take a break from that thing. Take a social media sabbatical if likes and follows and smiley face emojis are controlling your life. Step away from that leadership board or Uh, that public service for a season if you realize that winning everyone's approval is keeping you up at night. Take a hiatus from that regular play date if it's just causing you jealousy, if you just go to their house and lust over their cars and their couches and their vacations. If comparison is stealing your joy. I don't suggest that you stop eating. But if you struggle with food, maybe take a break from being in charge of your menu. Just ask someone to take care of you for a while. Take a rest and see if when you step away from that thing, see if the world collapses. See if you really were in control of that thing. See if it really was giving you life. Stop striving and see if God provides. Maybe that sounds silly or foolish or too too simple, but it's really at the core of some of these Lenten practices, right? Fasting's not about losing weight. It's about seeing um, if something is controlling me. The folk artist Josh Gills writes, uh, my rest is a weapon against the oppression of man's obsession to control things. I want to invite you uh, this morning to to come to the table and consider what it means to boast in nothing except the broken body and the shed blood 
of Jesus. I want to invite you to consider, and the scripture tells us each time that we gather for communion that we should take a moment and uh, consider the body of Christ. And I want to I invite you in these moments to um, consider coming forward and acting out, uh, giving him the power to approve you. Giving him the authority to tell you your worth. Uh, come forward and eat and drink and let him be in charge of determining what is beautiful, what is good. Ask him uh, to tell you these things. And look at the cross. Boast in the cross.